Last year, the Chiefs transformed their offensive line with five new starters, had great success, and made it back to the AFC Championship game. Could the Seahawks follow a similar blueprint this offseason? I'll explore in the latest offering of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy Tuesday to all of our listeners. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got a jam-packed episode coming your way. Some news on one of the biggest free agents Seattle has set to hit the market on March 16th, potentially working towards a deal. Going to look at another player in Seattle's secondary on our weekly free agent primer and going to be taking a close look at what the Seahawks might be able to do with their offensive line. A bit of a hypothetical here. If they followed the blueprint of the 2021 Kansas City Chiefs, revamping their O-line with five new starters. What might that look like for the Seahawks? I'll explore on today's show. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. The Seahawks are in the midst of discussions with one of their biggest defensive free agents trying to lock him up on a multi-year deal. Per discussions with multiple sources, Seattle has opened negotiations with safety Quandre Diggs, who's been in the Pro Bowl each of the past two seasons, at least has been voted in. No game in 2020, an injury prevented him from playing in the game last month, but he's been selected each of the past two seasons, has been one of the best free safeties in the league. Seattle is prioritizing its secondary. From what I've been told, Quandre Diggs, DJ Reed, I'll be talking about Sidney Jones later in the show. All three of those players they would like to have back. Now, we'll see if that ends up being reality, but Diggs looks to be the first priority, as he probably should be, one of the best safeties in the NFL. And the Seahawks, John Schneider's made a number of heights in the trade market. You can criticize his free agency doings. You can look at his trades for big names. Haven't necessarily panned out as the franchise hoped, but Mid-season trades a couple years ago got Carlos Dunlap for B.J. Finney in a seventh rounder, but maybe the biggest steal that he made was 2019, sending a fifth-round pick to the Lions for Quandre Diggs and a seventh-round selection, and he's just been flat-out fantastic ever since they made that deal. Has 13 interceptions in 38 games in the regular season with the Seahawks. He's one of the league leaders in interceptions over the past three seasons, and he's the only player with at least three interceptions in each of the past five seasons. You add in the fact he has 158 combined tackles in two and a half years with the Seahawks. He's just been flat out fantastic back there. And really the biggest reason why he's invaluable to this defense. You've seen the free safety position when Earl Thomas left a few years back. They tried Tedrick Thompson as his replacement. Thompson didn't last very long out there by middle of the season. They needed to make the trade for Diggs because Thompson struggled and then he got hurt. Turned out to be one of the best trades the Seahawks have made in before season or during the season. Just a fantastic deal where they were able to get a Pro Bowl caliber safety basically for pennies on the dollar. And they got great production from him. He has turned center field into a no-fly zone This is a passing defense that's had plenty of issues, giving up big chunks of yardage. They've been near the bottom of the league. It hasn't been because of Quandry Diggs, though. Teams are not beating them down the seam or with post routes 
because of his presence back there as a single high or even two high safety. He has been just flat out outstanding back there. So the Seahawks are trying everything they can to get a deal done here in the next two weeks. And the reason why I'm saying two weeks, today opened the franchise tag window. And that is two weeks long for all 32 teams if they decide to franchise tag. The Seahawks have only done it twice with John Schneider as the general manager. They did it on kicker Olindo Mare back in 2010, Schneider's first year with the franchise. And then a few years ago in 2019, Frank Clark was franchise tagged, and then they traded him to the Kansas City Chiefs for a first-round pick and a future second-round pick. So those are the only two times Schneider has used that uh, that strategy. I don't know that he'll necessarily do that this time around, but if there's a player that it would make sense with, it is Quandre Diggs. According to OverTheCap.com, his cap hit would be $13.5 million on a one-year franchise tag which is pricey, especially with what they're going to be paying Jamal Adams over the next several years after he signed a four-year, $70 million extension back in August. But Quadri Diggs has been fantastic, one of the best players on the team. You need to keep your great players, and they have paid two safeties in the past with Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas. So I'm anticipating, based on what I've been told, negotiations are underway. Can't say what the terms look like as far as money, years. Those things have not been revealed. But the Seahawks and Diggs reps have had discussions up to this point. That's good news as they try to work towards getting a long-term deal to keep him in the Pacific Northwest. If they can't get it done by March 8th, that's when things get interesting because that would be the deadline for John Schneider if he wants to franchise tag Diggs and prevent him from hitting the market, extend the negotiating window for a long-term deal. It would have to be done by March 8th. And both times that the Seahawks have used a franchise tag on Mare and Clark, it happened in the closing hours before that deadline. That's typically when teams use the franchise tag anyway because it's a last resort. Teams don't like using franchise tags because all that money is being a cap hit for one year. It's just a one-year deal, all guaranteed. So it's not necessarily a strategy that teams want to do. But if that's the way they can keep Quandre Diggs from hitting the market at the price point that it would be to keep him on that one-year franchise tag, I think that John Schneider would at least explore that possibility, but they have to make that choice by March 8th. If they don't and they don't have a new or new long-term deal in place, then Quandre Diggs is going to hit free agency on March 16th unless they're able to come together with a deal in the few days between that franchise tag deadline and the start of the new league year. More times than not, that does not happen. Players want to test the market. They want to see if other teams have interest, what kind of money is out there. So really, March 8th seems like a crucial deadline. And Diggs has said this all along, back in January to Seahawks.com. He wants to return. There's no question he wants to be back with the Seahawks, but he also wants to be compensated fairly. He views himself as one of the best, if not the best, free safety in the NFL, and he wants to be paid accordingly. I'm looking at a price range most likely going to be in that 11 to $12 million per year range. He made $6.15 million last year. That was a bargain for a player of his talent, but he deserves a good payday, especially after what he's given the Seahawks production-wise the last two and a half years. Had some really solid seasons in Detroit before that as well. One of the better safeties in the league. He's going to get a good payday. Now, we'll see what the Seahawks are willing to do here, but I'm anticipating, because of his value on and off the field, a great locker room presence to go with his ball-hawking ability at center field for the Seahawks. I'm anticipating they will be willing to pay that price. 
Maybe they meet in the middle if Diggs is looking for 14, 15 million per year. The Seahawks are offering 10, 11. Again, that 12, maybe 13 million range per year seems like it would be in the wheelhouse for the Seahawks. And then a multi year deal, maybe they can spread the cap out so it's not as big of a hit this year with Jamal Adams already having a $9.1 million cap hit this season. So we'll see what happens in coming days. But certainly, this is a development the Seahawks fans should be excited about. Many have been clamoring for Diggs to return, a very important player for this defense with a new coordinator, Sean Desai, coming in as the associate head coach. They want to keep their good football players so they can hit the ground running. Diggs is certainly one of those guys that they want to have around. So we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks, but certainly a positive development that the organization has already had discussions with the player and his reps. They're hoping they can figure something out here in quick order so that Diggs avoids hitting the free agent market on March 16th. Coming up next, going to continue the free agency primers. To this point, we've covered Diggs, Gerald Everett, also looked at a couple of other players. It's time to stay in the secondary, Sidney Jones. Is Sidney Jones going to be back in 2022, or is he going to be playing elsewhere? Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Bet Online remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC, hopefully baseball in the near future as well. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure you're checking out the Locked On NFL podcast. Locked On experts covering the biggest stories around the NFL every Monday through Friday in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Throughout the course of this offseason leading up to the March 16th, Start of the new league year, we're going to be going through all of the upcoming free agents for the Seahawks. To this point, we've looked at Quandre Diggs, just broke down his situation in the opening segment. We've talked DJ Reed. We've looked at Gerald Everett as well. It's time to stay in the secondary. Sidney Jones, bit of a reclamation project for the Seahawks last year. The Jaguars re-signed him last March, and he expected he was going to have a chance to make the team, maybe even push for a starting spot. Shaquille Griffin, though, came over from the Seahawks to Jacksonville. They made a few picks as well in the draft, upgrading their secondary. Tyson Campbell being the most notable coming from Georgia. Ultimately, Sidney Jones wasn't able to move up the depth chart enough to keep a roster spot. Jacksonville was probably going to cut him. Seattle was in a tough spot in the secondary, though. So they decided to go get the former University of Washington star, dealt a sixth-round pick to Jacksonville on September 1st. So, barely before the start of the regular season, after training camp, after the preseason. It took time, Jones, to get acclimated. For that reason, he was just playing special teams the first three games of the year. And then after a rough start for the secondary, Pete Carroll decided to make some moves. Trey Flowers gets demoted, eventually is released, lands with the Cincinnati Bengals, does get to play in the Super Bowl with Cincinnati. Sidney Jones jumps into the lineup at left corner in week four against the 49ers. DJ Reed flips back over to the right side. Things did not necessarily start out well for Sidney Jones. In his first game, had a major coverage bust against the 49ers. Debo Samuel wide open, goes 70-plus yards for an easy touchdown from Trey Lance. 
After the game, Pete Carroll was defending Sidney Jones, didn't blame anyone, but it was clearly evident that there was a coverage breakdown on his part there. He gave up another big play the following week on a Thursday night game against the Rams. So the first two weeks gave up a couple touchdowns, just was not in sync, was trying to get acclimated, struggling with the system. Trey Brown replaces him in the starting lineup a few weeks later in Pittsburgh. Brown plays well for five games, looks like his job. It's his job to keep. And he unfortunately goes down with his own season-ending knee injury. Jones gets thrust back in the lineup, and he was fantastic down the stretch. The last six games didn't give up any touchdowns, less than 60% completion rate against, less than eight and a half yards per reception. And he was one of the top performers for Pro Football Focus for quarterback rating against during those six games. So the former second-round pick out of Washington, a player that had first-round buzz before suffering an Achilles injury in his pro day workout, started to flash those first-round skills. You could see the ball skills. Even though he didn't get any interceptions, he got his hand on eight pass breakups on the season. And maybe the thing that impressed me the most, when you look at all of the pre-draft profiles on Sidney Jones, even early in his career in Philadelphia and the last season in Jacksonville, this is not a player that was known for his physicality and his tackling. He left a lot of tackles on the field, not necessarily a player that had shown on film that he was the most willing to come up and make plays against the run game. He took a 180-degree turn, though, after the Seahawks put him in the lineup. This is a guy that was very aggressive coming up and hitting people, didn't miss many tackles, career-high 66 tackles on the year. There were several times that he blew up screens around the line of scrimmage. Those were plays you just didn't see Sidney Jones make very often in college and early in his NFL career. So you saw a lot of growth from the player. And I think for that reason, when you consider that he's 26 years old, only 26, going to be 26, a very young player that's career has been impacted by injuries coming out of Washington his first several years in the league. He's missed 31 regular season games since being drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles in the second round. So durability has not been his calling card. He's had a lot of injury issues. That has hindered his development. This is still a guy that has a lot of natural talent. He's a very good athlete, moves well in space. The Seahawks are going to be running more man coverage. So that might make a lot of sense to bring him back, given what you saw, especially those last six games. That athleticism, the ball skills that he brings to the table, a guy that's capable of getting interceptions, you just didn't see that last year. Those are reasons why I think it's a good chance that we'll see Sidney Jones back next year. If you're looking for reasons why he might not be, the first big thing, we don't know what the market's going to look like for him. Being a former second-round pick and still being a young corner, maybe there will be a few teams that throw a decent amount of money at him, and that'll be too much for what the Seahawks can afford in their budget, especially if DJ Reed and Quandre Diggs are both re-signed as expected, or as they at least hope there might not be any money for Sidney Jones uh, to be able to pay him. If it's going to be a deal that's around $2 million or cheaper, though, for a one-year uh, contract, the Seahawks at that point would have to strongly consider. Away from budget, the other big issue is that Sidney Jones has had his share of issues with giving up big plays. Just two years ago, gave up almost 22 receiving yards per catch allowed with the Jaguars. He gave up some big plays for the Seahawks. I mentioned the coverage breakdown against the 49ers and Debo Samuel. Gave up a big pass play to Deshaun Jackson the following game against the Rams. So he has shown a propensity for allowing receivers to get by him. And that is a big no-no in Pete Carroll's defense. Now, 
last six games of the season, again, under eight and a half yards per reception. He was not giving up those big plays, and you saw him much more in tune with what Seattle wanted to do schematically. So maybe that's an issue that's behind him now, but that is certainly a negative to look at. I really think Sidney Jones coming back to Seattle, I don't know that it's directly impacted by whether or not DJ Reed resigns. If his contract is in that one and a half million to two million dollar range, even if DJ Reed and Quandre Diggs are getting big bucks on multi-year deals, that shouldn't be something that's outside of Seattle's budget if they want to bring him back. That said, they do need to add to their pass rush. They might make some moves with their offensive line, as I'll be breaking down a little bit here coming up in the third quarter. And they also have to consider, are there some things they want to do at the running back position? Is Rashad Penny going to be back at tight end? Are you going to re-sign Gerald Everett? There are going to be some free agents that they are not able to bring back that they want to. Sidney Jones could potentially fall into that category at this point. I think it's a 50-50 proposition whether he is back. I think Pete Carroll and John Schneider would like to bring him back. I think that he has the traits that fit a more man coverage heavy defense, even though he's played plenty of the zone heavy defense in his career as well, going back to college. I think he's got the athleticism to be able to do that on the outside for the Seahawks. I just don't know if it's going to match up. He might be a player that ends up getting priced out. He might be a player that ends up getting squeezed out because of depth. They do have Trey Brown coming back. You re-sign DJ Reed. They might be more likely to go out and draft a cornerback in April to fill the depth chart rather than bring back another veteran, even a younger veteran like Sidney Jones. So this one really feels like a toss-up to me. I think they'd like to bring him back, but at this point, it's anyone's guess. Depending on the rest of their secondary free agents pan out, if they're able to bring those guys back, it might make it a little bit tougher for Sidney Jones to return in 2022. Coming up next, going to be shifting gears from the secondary to the offensive line. The Chiefs made a remarkable turnaround last year after Patrick Mahomes got beat up in the Super Bowl, had five new starters in week one on the offensive line. Couldn't the Seahawks try to replicate that? I don't know that's going to happen, but I had some fun doing a simulation. I'll take a look at five players that I think it makes sense as new starters for the Seahawks if they decided to copy Kansas City's blueprint. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? For example, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump might be $353 in a chain store. It's $216 on Rock Auto. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you could need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, to even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm Corbin Smith, riding solo today. Rob Rang, my co-host, will be back for our Wednesday episode. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Throughout the Pete Carroll era, one of the most scrutinized position groups for the Seahawks has been the offensive line, and obviously more attention was drawn to that group 
this time last year when Russell Wilson aired out his grievances about getting hit too much. And then that led to trade rumors, which we still are seeing this year. Is Russell Wilson going to be back in Seattle? A big part of that was question marks about an offensive line that has consistently struggled to protect the star quarterback. And I've looked at what the Chiefs did last year. The Chiefs did something completely against conventional wisdom. because, And this is from my take as well. Offensive line, as much as any position group, continuity to me is extremely important because of the communication, picking up stunts and blitzes. You've got to have all five of those guys on the same page, and it's really difficult to do that when the offensive line hasn't had many reps together. And yet Kansas City decided after losing to Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl two years ago, you know what? This isn't working. We've got some older tackles in Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher. We've got some interior offensive linemen that struggled. We are just going to hit the reset button to ensure that we can protect our quarterback. And Kansas City went into aggressive mode. They traded a first-round pick before the draft to get Orlando Brown Jr., a young tackle then with the Baltimore Ravens. They flipped him from right tackle where he was at with Baltimore, moved him to left tackle. And then in the draft, they got Creed Humphrey, a center from Oklahoma, that had an all-pro-worthy season as a rookie. The Seahawks could have picked him at pick number 56, picked D. Eskridge instead. Kansas City a few picks later picked Humphrey, had a great year. Trey Smith, the sixth-rounder out of Tennessee, started most of the game for the Kansas City Chiefs last year as a rookie as well. So they got two immediate starters that played really well in the NFL draft as rookies stepped in and, and were fantastic. And then at their other two positions, they spent big bucks on Joe Tooney in free agency, former New England Patriots star. All he did is go out and earn an 80-plus grade from Pro Football Focus, had a fantastic first season in Kansas City. And then over on the right side, they elevated former third-round pick Lucas Niang to the right tackle spot. They had to do some rotating at that position as the year progressed, and Niang suffered a significant uh, patellar tendon injury in the season finale week 17 or week 18 so they had to do some shuffling there but otherwise the rest of this group held up really well they finished in the top six in pass block grade and run blocking grade from pro football focus they also scored the second highest grade in ESPN's pass block win rate so this revamped line it was a roaring success for the Kansas City Chiefs and some may say well they didn't get to the Super Bowl, so was, did it really help them that much? They did not miss out on the Super Bowl because of their offensive line. That was not the issue against the Cincinnati Bengals, who were dropping back eight most of the second half when they made their comeback in the AFC Championship game. This offensive line for Kansas City was great, and they're going to be great for a long time because they've got some young building blocks there, and then Tooney is on a five-year deal. So that group is not going anywhere. They're going to be able to continue protecting Patrick Mahomes. And that made me wonder. Now, I'm just going to put this disclaimer out here right now. The Seahawks are not going to do this. They are not going to completely shuffle the deck. Pete Carroll has talked about continuity along the offensive line numerous times over the years. They like how they played late last season. So I'm not expecting large, wide-scale moves here to overhaul that offensive line. But I still thought it would be an interesting exercise to consider if I followed the same ground rules the Chiefs had and I tried to reassemble a new offensive line with five brand new starters, what it might look like. And you look at how Kansas City did this. This is the ground rules that I follow by. One, you got to sign a big name free agent. That was Joe Tooney for the Chiefs. Seattle's got to follow that. Second, I'm going to look at a couple prospects that might be available when Seattle's on the board and see if I can find two players you could plug in immediately that could start on day one. 
You have to make a trade with an early round pick. That's what they did to get Orlando Brown Jr. So the Seahawks, they don't have a first rounder, maybe a second or third rounder, or even a future draft pick to try to bring in a young player that maybe a change of scenery would turn their career around. And then last but not least, a player that's already on the roster but hasn't been a starter up to this point getting elevated into the starting lineup. That was Lucas Niang with the Chiefs. So there were a number of options I considered to cross off all four of those ground rules. And this is ultimately the line that I came up with. Again, I'll be surprised if more than one of these moves actually happens from the Seahawks, but this was an intriguing exercise and this is a copycat league. You will see teams try to do what Kansas City did and see if they can replicate that, just completely revamping their offensive line and seeing if it's much better than it was the previous season. If the Seahawks did that, let's start at left tackle. Dwayne Brown, I think, is going to be fairly affordable to bring back on a one-year deal. I'm not expecting that he's going to hit free agency and break the bank given his age. He's going to be 37 in August. But let's say the Seahawks decide we want to get younger at that position. This is the spot, ultimately, if you're going to splurge in free agency on the offensive line, left tackle, the blindside protector, that is the position you do it. So Teron Armstead, who spent his entire career with the Saints, he's 30, soon to be 31 years old. He is coming off surgery. He's had some injuries. But this guy was a three-time Pro Bowler three years in a row going into 2020. He's been a second-team All-Pro before. He's very athletic. So that'll be a good fit in Seattle's zone blocking scheme. You're going to have to pay a lot of money to sign Teron Armstead because he's still in his prime, a fairly young lineman. But he's one of the better left tackles in football. That's the kind of player, if you're going to spend big bucks in free agency at a position like that, a premium one, Armstead would make sense. So I cross off my first box there. We've got our big-name free agent at left tackle, Dwayne Brown. Who knows what's going to happen with him, but he's going to have to ride off in the sunset somewhere else. At left guard, last year, Damian Lewis started there. This is the most unlikely move the Seahawks would make in this scenario, is moving on from Damian Lewis. But I would trade Lewis to open up that left guard position. And in this case, going to be moving Phil Haynes into the starting lineup. Phil Haynes only has gotten a couple starts in his career but he played really well at the end of the 2021 season, filling in for both Lewis and Gabe Jackson. He's ready for a starting role. Give him his restricted free agent tender at a little over $2 million. He gets to start. Hopefully he can stay healthy. You got a guy that's big-bodied, can move people, but also has a basketball background, so that athleticism should help him in his own blocking scheme. And then in the next two positions, at center and right guard, there were a number of things I considered. Maybe center be the position that you go out and you spend money in free agency. A player like Brian Allen from the Rams. But this is actually a draft class that I see some options at center that could be intriguing. I decided to go with a day three selection on fourth one of their fourth round picks. Luke from Kentucky, not a huge guy by any means. 300 pounds, a little bit lighter at center. Not Joey Hunt light, but a lighter center. But he's played a lot of snaps in the SEC against Top competition, a lot of NFL-bound defensive linemen held his own. He can drive people off the ball more than you think. He plays bigger than his size. He's got nimble footwork. He's best equipped to be in a zone-blocking scheme, and he started almost 40 games in the SEC. So I think when you put all those things together, I think he's got a sound technique at the center position. That would be the type of prospect I think would make a lot of sense in Shane Waldron's offense, working with new line coach Andy Dickerson. So I'm using one of my two draft pick requirements here at the center position, Luke Fortner replacing Ethan Posick as the new starter at center. And then at right guard, 
This one might not be as far-fetched as people think. Gabe Jackson was acquired with Mike Solari still on the coaching staff. Now that he's no longer with the team and it's probably going to be more of a pure zone-oriented run game, a player like Jackson who's a bigger-bodied guard and is at his best mauling people, driving off the line, and more of a gap scheme might actually be expendable one year after being traded. So that's what I'm doing in this case, moving him for a day three pick and then using another draft choice, this time the first selection for the Seahawks, at number 41, a player that could play center in a pinch too. All ACC competitor at left tackle as well as guard. Zion Johnson had a really impressive week at the Senior Bowl. One of the most impressive impressive performances in Mobile. A guy that might not even be available at pick 41. He could go in the first round. But former FCS recruit, very lightly recruited, went to Davidson College and then transferred to Boston College Got into the starting lineup fairly quickly, never looked back. He's been one of the best linemen in one of the biggest conferences in college football. Really good uh, reviews off the field as well. A smart, technically savvy player. I think he can start on day one for the Seahawks at right guard. So that leaves me with one thing left to do and one position left to fill. Right tackle, Jake Curhan still on the roster, impressed in his five starts at the end of the year. Brandon Shell is going to be a free agent. I don't see them bringing Shell back. Kerhan could certainly be the starter, but at minimum, you bring in some competition. So I'm going a little bit more on the bold side here. I'm making my trade, sending a future third-round pick, a 2023, a 2023 third-rounder, to the Philadelphia Eagles for Andre Dillard, former Washington State standout. So you're getting that Washington connection in-state, coming back to Seattle. A player that has struggled in the NFL, did play well last year in limited spot starts, has played some snaps at right tackle in their former blocking scheme. If Mike Slarry was there, I'm not sure the fit's there necessarily. Not somebody that's going to knock people off the ball, but a very athletic tackle. I think in this scheme with Andy Dickerson and Shane Waldron working together, more zone-oriented, that a player like Andre Dillard would be a very good fit at that right tackle position. You can take a one-year flyer on him. That might even be a guy you can trade a fourth-round pick for in this instance. But you're getting a former first-round pick that still has a lot of upside, still a very young player, and you're putting him in a system that fits his skill set well. And so that would be my starting lineup. If the Seahawks were going to undergo this incredible reboot and have five new starters, Teron Armstead, Phil Haynes, Luke Fortner, Zion Johnson, and Andre Dillard. That would be the new starting line. We'll see if any of those moves actually come to fruition. Probably the best odds, maybe a player like Fortner or Johnson, like I said, could play center. Maybe they draft him at 41 and he becomes their new starting center. He played it during the Senior Bowl. Uh, I don't anticipate, though, that they're going to be overly aggressive trying to completely overhaul this line. Nonetheless, it's a fun exercise to think about. And maybe John Schneider and Pete Carroll will surprise people coming off a disappointing season. Maybe they'll decide, you know what? We are going to reinvent this offensive line. We're going to bring in a bunch of new players. I don't see it happening, but if they do, a number of these moves could make sense for them moving into 2022. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make your second listen to Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker bring the NFL draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, YouTube streaming five days a week. When we return tomorrow, I'll be rejoined by Rob Rang 
The Seahawks are expected to induct a 15th member to the Ring of Honor next season. Which candidates might stand out as the possibility to join Matt Hasselbeck, Mike Holmgren, and the other 12 members of the exclusive club in Seahawks franchise history. We'll be breaking that down and more on a new episode of Locked on Seahawks. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.